Let's open in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can come before you. We thank you that you have great and epic riches untold for us in your spirit, Lord. We thank you that no eye has seen, no ear has heard all that you have for us, Lord. We pray that you would bless us with more hunger for you, Lord. We pray that we would encounter you. Amen. All right, so today's sermon is called Pursuing the Power of God, and it's not just fitting because, you know, today's Pentecost. Uh, It's fitting because we need this, like right now. All right, so I've got a lot of material and little time to cover it. We're going to rush right into it. There's three sections to this sermon. First one is called Our Need for the Power of God. We want to look at that in detail and get some better understanding of that. Six things we need. I think it's six. All right. um, Not that these are comprehensive lists, but, you know. Number one, which I have mentioned before uh, in previous messages like on evangelism, we do need to be part of the biblical model of a church, um, signs and wonders and healings. Again, I've mentioned this before, but we're going to look at a few scriptures as we've looked at before. Um, Let's look at Mark 16.20. Speaking of the disciples... And they went out and preached everywhere, everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed their message by accompanying signs. Acts 14, verse 3. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. This is part of God's testimony to the world through his church. If we don't have it, we're not being the biblical model of a church. And we'll quickly look at 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. Um, And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul, Paul is implying that it's important that people's faith be based in the power of God and not the wisdom of men. And how he wanted to accomplish that was by demonstrations of the spirit and of power. It's the complete opposite of the mentality that exists in the church in America today. They want to forget about the power and the demonstrations and just have lofty words of wisdom. We can't be doing that. Not only does that hurt our evangelism, but it it hurts us practically. There's blessings that would be very helpful to us if we had miraculous healings. It's very useful on a practical level. All right, number two. We need God's power for inner healing and deliverance. God gave the disciples authority to cast out evil spirits. And if we don't have this, if we don't use this, we'll be lacking. 
we won't make the progress that we could and should be making in righteousness and in spiritual growth if we don't take advantage of God's power and inner healing and deliverance. And we'll be burdened with unnecessary emotional issues and hindrances. Being free of those things makes a big difference and it's something God wants to give to us. But that's something we have to seek him for. It's not something that just, poof, just happens on its own. We seek God for these things. That's why the sermon's titled Pursuing the Power of God. Number three, we need supernatural character growth. Not just character growth, not just trying harder. We need supernatural character growth. Let's take a look at Galatians 5, 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. In Galatians 5, 16 through 17. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. God desires to give us character growth by his spirit that's outright miraculous. In some cases it's more obvious than in others, like with Stephen, if you haven't heard Stephen's testimony, ask Stephen, but that's God's giving miraculous character growth that's obviously miraculous. A lot of character growth that we have is miraculous, but some of it's more obvious. But God wants to give us a level of character growth that can only happen by the Spirit of God. It's impossible to happen from just reading your Bible and trying harder. The Pharisees read their Bible and tried harder. Didn't really get them anywhere. If we don't have supernatural character growth that's by God's spirit, then our character won't be where God wants it to be. Number four, we need the power of God for conviction. Let's take a look at John 16, verses 7 and 8. Okay. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And this is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit to the disciples. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So this is about the most useful thing you can have in evangelism. Like, you need the Holy Spirit to convict people's hearts. And when the Holy Spirit is convicting someone, 
Like, that's what makes a difference. If the Holy Spirit has set out to convict this person, like, there's some powerful conviction of the Holy Spirit, and that makes a difference. That's part of change, seeing God change people's hearts. And we need God's power for that. And I think that the more filled with the Spirit a person is, the more likely they're they are to see this in evangelism, to see the Holy Spirit convicting those who they're talking to. And that's why we need to be pursuing the Holy Spirit, pursuing being filled with the Spirit, pursuing God's power. Number five, we need the supernatural wisdom of God. All right, let's look at Matthew 10, 16 through 20. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious for how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. This isn't the only time we hear of the spirit supernatural giving wisdom. Um, let's take a look at John four sixteen and 18. You know, there are several cases, but I definitely don't have time to list all of them. Um, This is Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one who you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. Jesus didn't know this because of divine omniscience. Jesus, in his humanity, knew this because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. The Holy Spirit does this sort of thing. That's why when Paul lists spiritual gifts, word of knowledge is one of them. This is something God wants to be doing on a regular basis. It's not only as important for evangelism, helps for evangelism and for discipleship, but it helps practically. Like just in, um, I've been I've talked to John Gray about this, and John Gray has told me that he can sense the Spirit giving him prompts when he's driving. He can use it with driving. <laughs> you know, turn left now and don't don't hit that guy. But but seriously, the the Spirit gives supernatural wisdom that we need that we would not otherwise have. And it's not just for evangelism and discipleship. It's even in practical things like our driving and at work. I've talked to Greg, and when he was a salesman, he would have times when he was on the phone and the Spirit would lead him with what to say to help him make the sale. The Spirit gives supernatural wisdom that we as Christians need, and it, it affects all kinds of areas of life. Number six, we need the power of God's presence. 
when we come into God's presence and worship and prayer, like God's presence has power to it. It affects us. It changes us. It energizes us. It convicts us of sin and it makes us more like him because seeing God makes us more like him. It causes us to be filled with his spirit. Not only that, but worshiping God in close intimacy with him is the highest purpose of your existence. Period. Forever. There will never be another point throughout all eternity that's higher than that. So hopefully now that um, you somewhat have the need, our need for the power of God fresh in your head, you're paying good attention for the next part. Um, eight ways we should be pursuing the power of God. Actually, we, I'm a little bit ahead. We can go back to that last slide for just like 30 seconds if anyone wants to finish writing them down for taking notes. The more we get a hold of the power of God in worship and the deeper we come into his presence during worship, the more we'll be empowered as a church and in general. All right. Um, how we should be pursuing the power of God. Number one. Seek to be more and more filled with the Spirit. So the power of God pours out of the lives of those who are filled with the Spirit. This is just something I've noticed. Like, let's, let's take a look at Acts 6, verses 5 and verse 8. This is when they're picking Stephen to be a deacon. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, um, a proselyte of Antioch. And Stephen, so this is verse 8, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Jesus said, speaking of Pentecost, speaking of receiving the Holy Spirit, that we'd be clothed with power from on high. You can't have a great measure of the Holy Spirit without there being power. You know, the wind blows where it wishes and the Spirit of God 
operates how he operates. And if he's going to be in our lives, he's going to do what he wants, and he will bring power. So if you want more of the power of God, the number one thing I would tell you is to pursue being more filled with the Holy Spirit. Just some ways to do that. Um, You know, as we know from Luke, praying for the Holy Spirit, the Father will give to those who ask, who pray for the Spirit. We should be praying daily to be filled with the Spirit. No matter how filled with the Spirit you already are, you should always be praying daily to be filled with the Spirit. Because we need it daily. And it's mentioned specifically in prayer for a reason. Praying in tongues is another way that helps us to be more filled with the Spirit. Spending time fellowshipping with God. Spending time fellowshipping with God is a very helpful way to, be, to get more filled with His Spirit. second thing I have on my list of how we should be pursuing the power of God is to pray for miracles whenever we get a chance to pray for them. So I was um, recently reading through When Heaven Invades Earth by Bill Johnson, and one of the things that um, really inspired me about it, it was just something the author mentioned in brief, or in brief, but... um, Whenever he gets a chance to pray for someone to be healed, like whenever he sees a sick person has time to, he prays about it. He prays for them to be healed. And I I really like that his attitude is that. And they don't always get healed. But if we just like have in our minds, well, they might not be healed, we shouldn't pray for them, you can guarantee you're never going to see anyone be healed if you have that mentality. God wants us to step out in faith, and stepping out in faith involves some amount of risk. And if we always think, well, God might not heal them, you know what, he might not. But like, if you always have that, you're never going to do anything. We have to have an acknowledging of even though he might not, we're going to pray anyways. And I think we should pray whenever we get the chance to. the end of the day, the more we pray, the more we will see of what God's doing. All right, the third way that we should be pursuing the power of God. Um, Make closeness with God a priority. So, um, this is a pattern I've noticed in life. I wish I had um, time in my preparation to make a list of like practical examples, examples that I know from my own life. But I've noticed just several people who make closeness with God a priority, and they're just like the most filled with the Spirit people I know. 
The people who really make closeness, like spending time in fellowship with God, are the most spirit-filled people I know. And they have more power of God in their lives than the other people I know. They have more than I do. But I do have free examples from the scripture I listed. David, um, you know, he spent time in prayer a lot and in worship a lot and in meditation a lot. And God did a lot in his life. Things like on the daily basis that we didn't, don't really hear about. Like getting power to leap over a wall. He mentions that in the Psalms. That's not like a, oh, I just, you know, I hopped over that wall. That's like a supernatural thing. People don't just leap over walls. Like God gave David supernatural power. And it's just mentioned in passing. This happened multiple times and we're not even told much about it. But David pursued fellowship with God and walking closely with God. Another person who I think in the scriptures did this is Daniel. Daniel was very adamant about his three times of prayer a day. He was willing to die over it. I'm not even always willing to miss lunch over it. Daniel had saw God do a lot of supernatural things in his life. He saw a lot of activity of God. Daniel knew God closely. There's just so much that goes on in the life of Daniel and in the book of Daniel, from like God giving him miraculous visions, saving his life miraculously, on multiple occasions. Um, you know, there's just so much that goes on. But Daniel made closeness with God a priority. And I really do want to just emphasize, like, all the people who I've known in my own life who are most filled with the Spirit, they always, like all of them, have closeness with God as a priority. I should probably do a sermon on closeness with God, but one of the things that just sticks out to me, not just like having corporate worship and corporate prayer, but if you want to have closeness with God as a priority, you should have corporate worship and corporate prayer, but you need to make it a priority with your own time on spending time alone with God, listening for his voice, praying like in your prayer closet. Time alone with God. It's necessary for closeness. Like if I don't have time alone with my wife, if I just stop having time alone with my wife, we're not going to be close. It's a silly idea to think we will. You can't have closeness with a person without time alone with them. Time spent fellowshipping with God is utterly necessary for closeness with God.
Number four, pursue prayer and fasting. So in the scriptures, it's, it's shown and it's clear that there's special power of God in prayer and fasting that we just don't get otherwise. I want to read um, Mark 9, 28 through 29. I'm actually reading from the New King James Version. And when he had come into the house, so um, this is after there was a man with a son who was demonized and you know, the disciples had been sent out and given authority to cast out demons and heal the sick, and they had been doing that, been going great. Come across this guy, and, you know, for some reason they can't cast out the evil spirits that are in him. And then, um, you know, Jesus comes along, and Jesus does. And then they go into a house, and they're talking about it. So, and when they had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? So he said to them, this kind can come out um, by nothing but prayer and fasting. So some translations have fasting, some have prayer. But fasting and prayer are always very related. Fasting's like intense prayer. And again, I wish I had time to um, mention more of like how much prayer and fasting is connected with revival. Sam mentioned last week about the Azusa Street Revival. That's a revival that lasted like 10, 15 years. But there was years of fasting beforehand. If prayer, like set aside time and prayer, isn't a part of your daily life, it needs to be. Again, you can see prayer, like time, set aside time and prayer was a priority for Jesus. He would spend like whole nights without sleep over it. He would just leave without telling people where he was going in the middle of something to go pray. Prayer needs to be part of our daily lives. If it's not part of your daily life as a Christian, then you're missing something big. And in general, fasting should be a part of most Christians' weekly lives. There can be some exceptions for some things. Um, You know, Jesus said, my disciples don't currently fast because the bridegroom is with them. And if you're pregnant, you shouldn't like totally go without food. That would not be good. But um, in general, fasting should be a part of the weekly lives of a Christian. Prayer is how the kingdom of heaven advances. If God is doing something big in the earth, it happens through prayer. Because God causes people to pray because God wants us to pray. God is glorified by our prayers. It's not just like randomly some theme in the scriptures like there's so many verses about if you pray this, if you pray then that, if you pray with faith, God will answer it. The reason there's all those verses is because God wants us to pray. 
Because God is glorified by answering our prayers. He could do anything he wants without us praying, but he wants us to pray. And he wants his kingdom to advance by means of prayer. There's a reason he gives such big promises about the power of prayer. Like moving mountains, that's not some small thing. Trees being uprooted and planted in the sea, that's not some small thing. God gives big promises about the power of prayer. It's because prayer is important to God. God wants us to pray. That's how he ordained his kingdom to advance. There are several other things that are a part of its advancing, but he always wants there to be prayer. All right, number five. Use the gift of praying in tongues. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself or edifies himself or edifies his spirit. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, obviously, you know, we should have both of those. But, you know, Paul says the one who speaks in tongues edifies his spirit. God gives the gift of praying in tongues to be used for the building up of our spirits. It's one of the primary ways we learn to flow in the spirit and to be more filled in the spirit. It was a gift given specifically for that. Because he doesn't say, you know, the one who prays in tongues builds up the church. So what's praying in tongues for? It's for edifying your own spirit. It's a gift of God for communing with God in a way that we simply can't on our own in our own natural language. It's very important. The one who speaks in a tongue edifies his spirit. God doesn't give us gifts to not use them. He expects us to use them. There's benefits from praying in tongues that can only be gotten from praying in tongues. So that needs to be part of our lives. All right, number six. Pursue deeper humility and surrender or obedience. So I believe that humility and obedience both affect our ability to receive God's power and our ability to be filled with his spirit. There's a kind of synonymous thing, somewhat. Um, I want to take a look at James 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives extra grace to the humble. Like it's outright, point blank, explicitly stated. 
not only that, but humility creates room for us to receive the power of God uh, without exalting ourselves over it. And that's very important. Because if we receive the power of God and then just keep exalting ourselves over it, that's not going to go well. Humility creates room to receive the power of God. It's not like if we're humble, we deserve more grace. It just creates room for more grace. You can never deserve grace. The whole point of fasting is to humble ourselves before God. Throughout the scriptures, you see that God honors those who humble themselves before God. When it, all the verses that talk about God honoring those who humble themselves before God, that's not just a, oh, God thinks higher of them. That's like a practical word. Honors means doing something. It's an action word. It's not a theoretical thing. It's not like God theoretically thinks of them differently now. Honoring them is doing something. More power, more grace, more of his spirit, more of his presence. Another thing I wanted to mention or another verse I want to look at related to how surrender and obedience affect this is 1 Peter 3.7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are your heirs with you of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. The implication is that disobedience to God hinders our prayers. That's something we have to keep in mind. If we want greater answers to prayer, pursue by the power of God's spirit deeper obedience because it does make a difference you know God's gracious it's not like oh if you don't obey perfectly he won't answer your prayers or else he'd never answer anyone's prayers but nevertheless disobedience to God in some way hinders our prayers One verse um, I had on the outline, but then I took it off because my outline was getting full. But um, in Ephesians 4, it talks about grieving the Spirit. It's hard to walk closely with, and walking closely with is part of being filled with the Spirit. It's hard to walk closely with someone you're grieving frequently. Grieving the Spirit will affect... You know, how much of the power of God we have in our lives. We need to not grieve the Spirit. Number seven, pursue deeper praise and worship. I'm not going to go too deep into this one because Sam just did a sermon on it and I did one a little bit ago. But, um, you know, praise and worship, like Sam said, praise is a weapon that God gives us for warfare. Like the he- one of the Hebrew words for praise also means to shoot. 
There's a great power in praise and worship. The disciples, or um, Peter, I think it was Peter, Peter or Paul, um, they were locked up in prison, and I'm sure it wasn't comfortable, but just, you know, praising God around midnight. And like, God broke down the prison walls. Like, picture that in your mind. They're just like locked up in chains, praising God in this really crummy prison, smells bad. And the walls just fall down. They collapse. There's great, pray, there's great power in praise and worship. In praise and worship, it is communion with God and it is a type of fellowship with him. And closeness with God needs to be a priority, so that, that should be one of the things we think about in praise and worship. But if praise and worship is something you need to grow in, then re-listen to Sam's message and re-listen to the one I did a few weeks ago. All right, the eighth way that I think we should be pursuing God's power is to think about the things that God has done. So this is a major theme in the scriptures. There's too many verses on it for me to list. We don't have enough time for that, but we're going to look at two passages um, on the importance of remembering what God has done. Joshua 4, 5 through 7. And, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in a time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall uh, tell them that the waters of the Jer Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan, and the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. forever. Let's look at Exodus 13, verses 13 through 15. Every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Every firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. And when it and when in time, when in time to come, your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. For when Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of animals. Therefore, I sacrificed to the Lord all the males that first opened the room, but the firstborn of my sons I redeem. Again, this is two examples out of several passages of Scripture that talk about the importance, like, it's not just somewhat important. God gave specific commands, commands that were to be carried out through all of Israel's history. It's because it was important to him. He wanted them to remember the things that he had done and to think about it. Thinking about the, like David says in the Psalms, I meditate on your great and mighty deeds. 
we should meditate on God's great and mighty deeds. That's how, part of the way God wants to build our faith, because God does want to build our faith. Faith is something we all grow in, and God wants to build it. We should be seeking out testimonies of God's power because we all struggle with faith and faith makes a big difference. We're going to look at that in just a few minutes in seeing God answer prayer and seeing God's power. Faith is something we really struggle with, not just the church in America, but us as a church. We should seek out testimonies of God's power because meditating on testimonies of God's power is commanded. Remember the mighty works. Remember the crossing of the Jordan. Remember the, the plagues that God did upon Egypt. He wanted them to remember and to meditate on his power, on his deeds, on things that happened. We should do like David and meditate on the mighty deeds of God. This is something that just needs to happen as part of the change that we need to have as a church. We need to meditate on the testimonies of God's power. And if you want a place to start, read Miracles and Manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the History of the Church. It's a book edited by Jeff Doyles because it's just a compilation of... Um, it's taken from other sources just throughout church history. It's just a compilation of testimonies of God doing miraculous things, not just in the early church, but throughout church history. But apart from that, look for testimonies and use them to build your faith. So that's the list. Um, write them down if you haven't already, and if you have written them down, take a minute to think about how you can implement a few of them better and write down how you can implement a few of them better. It's gonna take a minute. All right, so I'm gonna to try to finish somewhat on time. We won't go that much over, a few minutes over. So there's one more section to this sermon. In this last section, I want to address the issue we have as a church of not frequently having signs and wonders and healings. Because that's the biblical pattern and the fact that we don't have that is an issue. 
So this last session is called um, God is Wanting, Willing, and Waiting. Let's take a look at how God is willing and wanting. So a big part of why we don't have, why we're not over this issue, why this issue is a thing, is we don't really have faith. Um, And most of us don't struggle that God can do miracles. I haven't met a person, um, I probably haven't met a person ever who's a Christian who's read their Bible who believes God can't do miracles. Plenty who believe he doesn't or won't or isn't willing. But I don't think anyone here believes God can't. So we need to believe that he's willing and that he's wanting. I want to take a look at John 14, verse 12. Nope, that's the wrong... uh, My outline's mixed up. Let's look at that anyways. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater than these he will do because I go to the Father. So by implication, he goes to the Father, he sends the Spirit. Because he sends the Spirit to the whole church, greater works than he did. This is meant to be a part of every Christian's life. It also says at the end of the book of Mark how this is to be everyone who believes in him. This should be an experience all Christians have. So that's point number one on God wants to do this. Um, I'm going to skip one of the points, sub-points. So um, two points of how we know God wants to do this, and we need to build up our faith that God wants to do miraculous things among us. Number one, God wants to show his power. Let's look at John 9, 1 through 3. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. God wants to show his power. We don't have time to read it, but Jesus heals him. Another good example, Pharaoh in Egypt and the plagues. Romans 9.17 says, For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Like, that's a big thing. Like, this wasn't just some small thing God did in raising Pharaoh. God, like, caused Egypt to become a world power that owned the earth in some sense, if you read the story of Joseph. And like the ten plagues, that wasn't some small thing God did. God was doing a lot to show his power. God wants to show his power. And that hasn't changed one bit. We know from the verses we read earlier, God wants signs and wonders to be part of his church's testimony. God wants to show his power. That hasn't changed. Secondly, God wants to give us good gifts. Let's look at Matthew 7, verse 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. 
Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which of you, which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God wants to give us miraculous healing and miraculous deliverance because those are good things. God always desires to give his children good things, but he desires that we ask for them. Let's also take a look at Psalm 81, verse 10. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Open your mouth wide is a thing of expectation. He doesn't just say, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt, I will fill it. He says, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. He wants us to have expectation. But the thing we need to see, I really believe that um, our believing God doesn't want to or might not want to is like at the root of our problem of not having faith in God for this. There's no maybe about it. God definitely wants this. We're to watch over our hearts with all diligence, as the Proverbs say. We need to watch what we believe. We need to make sure we believe that God wants this. So God wants it, but he waits, because he waits for us to ask, and he waits for us to have faith. James 4, 2 through 3 says... You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. We don't have because we don't ask. It's a principle of scripture. It's like it's reading the reverse negative. If God says that if we ask, he'll give it to us, by implication, if we don't ask, we won't have. So God is willing and wanting, but God is waiting because he waits for us to ask. The reason we don't have miraculous signs and wonders and healings is not because God doesn't want it. It's because we don't ask and we don't trust. Let's take a look at Matthew 13, 57 through 58. And they took offense at him. This is Jesus in his hometown. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Reading the reverse negative of all the verses where God talks about having faith and seeing mighty things done, if we don't have faith or if we have unbelief, we won't see so many mighty things done. He did not do many mighty works there. The fact that we don't have frequent signs and healings and wonders is not evidence that God doesn't want to. It's evidence that we don't have faith and we don't ask. And maybe that we're not filled enough with the Spirit. But the key thing we need to do, we need to believe that God wants this. 
we can't have a procrastination mindset about it. So one of the things I believed for a while is that, um, you know, God wants us as a church to, you know, be a biblical model church, which means we should frequently have signs and wonders and healings. But that's something uh, God's working on, and that's, you know, that's a few years down the road. That's for when we have more faith. But God wants us to have faith today. And, you know, that creates a loop. Thinking that it's, God wants it, but he wants it for a few years from now. That creates a loop. You're not going to have faith if you believe that. None of us can afford to believe that. God wants it today. It's whether or not we're going to have faith and trust him. Don't have a procrastination mindset about it. God wants it today. And I think we need to do whatever it takes to get past this as a church. And part of what I'm going to do is trying to work out my faith that God wants it for today because faith demands action is I've decided that apart from whatever I might otherwise fast, I'm going to fast about this one day a week until we're done with this issue. Until we have frequent signs and wonders and healings, I'm going to fast about it one day a week until it's done, until it's not an issue. And if you're serious about this, I would encourage you to consider doing the same. So in conclusion, we need to seek God for greater levels of his presence and power. God wants us to experience miracles and he wants them today. He waits on us. And lastly, just don't be discouraged. We don't currently have the level of God's power that we should, but his message for us today is one of good news. He's going to change this. But he wants us to seek him and trust him. One note, I believe this is going to change. I believe God wants it now. If we all, if we fasted for years and years about this, every second would have been worth it. Because we need to get over this as a church. God will respond to our prayers and fasting. Because our problem is that we don't pray. And if we fast for years, and I don't think it's going to take that long, but if it does or if it did, every second will have been worth it. So don't be discouraged. God wants to do this and it's going to happen. Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the greatness of your grace. We thank you that you invite us to know the living God and that because we know you, we will know your glory and your power and your manifest presence. We pray that because we know it, other people would know it. We pray that we would manifest your presence to the nations, Lord. We pray that your power would come upon us and affect those whom we know, affect the non-Christians we know, Lord. We pray that your power would flow through us to the nations, Lord. We thank you for your grace and amen.